We have a very special, special, special time this morning. Our pastors are traveling this week, but we have a very special, awesome uh, servant of the Lord, leader in this house that has for the last several years very valiantly served the purposes of God not only for Chavda Ministries, for the sake of the gospel, but for this church and helped steward, has helped steward the wonderful work that is this ministry and this church. And we get the honor and the privilege to hear from her this morning. And as pastors say, she runs all of our lives. But um, we're grateful for her. But more importantly, she is a servant of the Lord, has laid down her life to serve the purposes of God and for the gospel. She's going to bring a very special word for us this morning. Would you stand and welcome Sarah Chabda to come bring the message this morning? Thank you. Thank you, Michael. That was moving. Now I'm moved to tears and I don't think that I'm going to be able to say anything. So I'm going to be hopefully very quick so that we can do some ministry time that I think Michael is going to lead us in. Um, But I wanted to take the opportunity of a free pulpit and free mic um, to encourage everybody um, on a couple of areas that I think are concerning people. And I really feel that I've been, and Michael and pastors and all of our watchmen here, have been hearing the Lord um, as it relates to the nation and nations and the end time harvest, right? And the answer for the, the primary anxieties on Christians' minds typically is the same, whether it's for your nation or for the kingdom, and that is the Great Commission. It's the same answer. The harvest is the answer to the turmoil in the nations. It's the answer to attacks on nations. It's the answer to the end times. It's the same answer. And it's a very empowering answer because it requires our participation to actually accomplish it. Right, the Great Commission, the end time harvest. So I like to to start with the end. So that's um, kind of the end. Um, when I was copying scriptures, because I'm mildly visually impaired, so you'll see me do this a lot. Um, I went to uh, photocopy Second um, Timothy three, and I sat down with all the scripture stacks that I had, and I was reading through them. I was just praying, Lord. What do you want me to say to your people? And if you ever wonder if Jesus has a sense of humor, I pick up this page. And I had accidentally copied 1 Timothy 2. And those of you who uh, study scripture know why that's a little bit of a joke. Let a woman learn in silence (laughs) with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. 
was like, but thank you, Lord. I really appreciate that. Really, the Lord was playing a joke on me, obviously. I'm going to leave the theological uh, implications of that to Pastor Bonnie. Just lay a trap for her for when she comes home. And uh, it's actually very thoroughly addressed. And, you know, it's been addressed by theologians much wiser than I. Um, But I thought it was a funny joke that the Lord was playing on me. So um, I am going to um, just in general first, um, I think a lot of us have been inundated and brainwashed by, by accident just because we're in the culture by a lot of the lies that the media and a lot of people that are driven really by an antichrist spirit have been pumping into the airwaves and into the culture and a lot of our leadership and things like school boards and that kind of thing. And I think it's really timely as our children are going back to school right now for us to remember that it's our place as the church, as the ones that are anointed by the Lord, to prophesy over the nations and our nation, the destiny of the nation. That is our job. And we rebuke any of the curses and the naysayers and the wicked spirits that try to intimidate Christians and intimidate you know, people that are following the word of the Lord out of arenas of influence or power using, and it is, it really is a spirit using this puffed up intimidation and you look behind the curtain and there's really nothing back there. You know, it really is just using intimidation. That's the spirit of witchcraft. They're really attempting to deceive you by intimidating you, deceive you out of areas of influence and areas of really the end time harvest. All right. All nations are destined by the Lord to worship God. Every knee bows, every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we see scripture after scripture in the Bible refer to the end times and the worship of the Lord by saying the nations are going to come up and worship the Lord. Well, for me, that's enough for me to know that this nation is destined to be a Christian nation. It's destined to be a worshiper of the Lord. All right, and we're in the end times. So if anyone, you know, I'm going to, I kind of skip, skipped around a little bit, just, um, I'm, I'm going to read, read Luke 4, because I think the Lord really identified himself the answer to the end time. Um, and we know that we're in the end times, and I'll read you a scripture that actually helps to identify really specifically that we are in the end times. Um, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out fame of him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. As his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And this is after the Lord has gone into the. He's been baptized in the Holy. He's been baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's been baptized in water. And the dove descended upon him. He went and into the wilderness for 40 days. And he came out full of the Spirit of the Lord. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, which is Isaiah. And when he heard, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He goes on to basic a, a little bit uh, of a challenge to Elijah and Elisha, which is sort of humorous if you look at it, um, saying, you know, hey, you know, obviously these, these guys were anointed, but the only person that, you know, got healed of leprosy, and there were lots of lepers, was Naaman. And he was basically saying, I'm the answer here. I've come now. And the people were so just enraged and went into a tumult over this challenge that he gave them that they basically led him out to cast him down, I guess, on the rocks to kill him. I, I'm not exactly sure. And this, and the Bible basically paints this picture where he just sort of slips away. Um, as uh, my, my brothers would say, he ninja'd his way out of that one. He just sort of ah, gets out of it. Um, but he's reading this scripture from Isaiah 60. Arise, shine. For thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. And it goes on, that's the primary point, but it is interesting that the rest of that scripture actually is discussing really nations gathering themselves to the rising of the light. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. And later on in the scripture, violence shall be no more heard in thy land. Wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. The Lord identified himself to his own hometown as the fulfillment of this prophecy in Isaiah. And it so enraged everyone. If you want to know what the Lord stands for, look for the things that the church is doing to completely enrage the wicked or those that are lost. To them, the message of Jesus, the message of the Lord is hate. That's something we should remember, right? The, the, the nations that are lost and the people that are lost are going to see until the, the scales are removed from their eyes and they're delivered into the kingdom. The message of Jesus is something that will create persecution for the church, period. There's, it will create persecution from the church. There are very few things that are promises directly to all Christians in the Bible. One of them is persecution. And I'll, I'll leave you to go on a little word study of that yourself. But for everyone, the, the reason I, I sort of directed toward this first Right now, 
there's a battle for the destiny of nations, and it's all over the earth. Every nation has powerful forces that are actually trying to rob even nationhood itself from the face of the planet. Um, and it's a, it's a basic tenet of some of the political philosophies that have gained so much ground now in our schools and in our generation, um, Marxism. And Marxism is, if you know anything about it, it's Luciferian, right? I, that's something you should go and look into yourself as well, but it is absolutely Luciferian. Marx himself admitted to it. Okay, so it is very clear that that whole branch of ideologies that cluster together to defeat nations and defeat their God, the real, one true God, the God of the Bible, it's evil. It's an antichrist spirit. And I just wanted to kind of encourage everybody, wash your minds with scripture and get all of this stuff, all of the fear out of your mind. And I, I won't address this uh, like right now, but it is really important to note that when Revelation actually talks about those who are going to be in the lake of fire, you know the first ones that are listed on that list? Does anybody know? The fearful, right? The timid, the fearful. Fear is a wickedness, right? We cannot be afraid, right? You cannot be afraid. It's the, it's the sin that is very seductive because we give a lot of excuses for it, right? Every, it's all okay because they were, well, they were, they were afraid. And we really use fear as an excuse for a lot of things that are, it, it's a root of a lot of wickedness in our lives. You need to cleanse yourself of fear. It's something that really is taken advantage of by all sorts of darkness. And if that wasn't enough for you, the fearful end up in the lake of fire. So I think that's good enough for me. I don't think I'll be afraid. Um, but when people start accusing your nation, rebuke them. All right? Rebuke them. Do not agree. Do not agree. We're a Luke 4 nation. Right? We're a Isaiah 60 nation. Okay, we are, this is, this is the identity of the nation. This is just a prophecy out to the nation. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. There is no other nation. I've studied this pretty extensively. There's no other nation that the reasoning for founding and gathering everyone together as a people was not based on, it wasn't even based on borders. It wasn't based on boundaries. It wasn't based on ethnos, all right? It wasn't based on her ethnic heritage. It was based on liberty. And flawed people tried to corrupt that and did corrupt it and did evil and wicked things. But the nation was Holy Spirit anointed as a representative of liberty, of liberty of the Lord, as a God-given. Here's how God created the earth. He did not have to create. This is an aside. This actually has nothing to do with what I came here to talk about. I'm sorry. But the Lord created humans with a free will. 
Isn't that interesting? Do you think he had to do that? He didn't. There is a reflection of the Lord and his nature in creation. And one of those things to me that always reminds me of the Lord and his nature and his intention for man, he created men free. You know, in complete, you know, they're in control of their faculties. You raise your children, train them up in the way they should go, you know, and then they are themselves also in charge of their person and responsible for their person and responsible to God for their person. That's the state that God created all of mankind, right? Any tyranny that seeks to do anything, government exists between, should only, exists between free people. This is the concept of America. Government should only exist between free people to ensure that I don't do anything to ensnare and enslave you. And you don't do anything to ensnare and enslave me. That's the whole, that's the whole purpose. That was the purpose of having any sort of system. That's why anarchy is not freedom. Because it's ruled by the brutal. By whoever has the most power and is willing to be the most violent and take the most captives. So, you know, no. There is good government. And that's all throughout, the, throughout scripture as well. But I just bring all of that up to say... The Lord intended this nation. You can see it because the founding says, hey, we are going to build a nation that's founded on how God made men to be free. And we're going to be a Christian nation. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to worship Christ and let, let people have freedom to worship as they will. But we're here because we wanted freedom to worship the Lord. And that is, as much as all of the Marxist professors now have tried to teach everyone that that's not the way that the U.S. was founded, it is. It is. People were fleeing persecution and bondage and slavery in debtor's prisons because they would not be worshipers in the state church that really did not preach Jesus. Right? That's, that's how the Puritans actually ended up motivated to come over here. And it makes our nation unique, right? It makes our nation unique. It's something that's precious. It's worth fighting for. It's worth saving. It's worth teaching your children about. And that's the identity of the nation. You know, in my, that's my opinion. I am the daughter of an immigrant. I am the daughter of an immigrant who is the proudest American that anyone could ever know, he calls himself an adopted son of this nation, right? He came here as a Kenyan Indian back in the 60s, and people throughout this nation cared for him, loved him, were generous to him. He never had one person discriminate against him, be cruel to him, you know, not accept him. That never happened, you know. And a few years after he got here, he married a, you know, rancher's daughter out in New Mexico. Or, you know, in Texas they got married. But a rancher's daughter from New Mexico. The nation 
is not an evil nation, and its people are not an evil people. This is a nation of generous, good people who love the Lord. And do not be deceived. Right? There is a battle. There is a cultural battle. But I'll tell you, you know, I, I don't look at much social media. I'm not very big on social media. But there is, and it's not appropriate for children, um, there is an uh, account on Twitter that actually tracks um, it's called Libs of TikTok, right? I'm not endorsing it, okay? I'm not endorsing it. There's some things in there that are not appropriate. But it basically puts out videos of people that are, have been completely, their minds have been warped by crazy professors and, uh, and tiny little subsets of our culture that are teaching people to basically break any natural identity that they have and replace it with insanity. It's insane. It's insane. You know, there's thousands now classifications of human being, and I you know, won't go any further than that, but it's madness. And, and 20 years ago, it would have been diagnosable madness. But the state of our institutions is such that they've been so taken by a few, a handful of radical God-haters. That's, that's it. You get down to it. It's not science. It's not science. It's not science. This has nothing to do with science. It's a program to destroy the future of this nation. Intentionally. Why? We'll get to that in a second. But it's not, it's nonsense. It's nonsense. Be washed. It's like 1% or less of human beings that are either intentionally promoting this to destroy the U.S. or that are totally insane or demonized and therefore captured by it. Okay. And I did make up that statistic on the spot, like most people do. Um, so I, I just, just be... Wash your mind. Renew your mind with the word, with what the Lord has said over the nation and about the nation, and what the Lord says about nations. It's interesting that the word nation is used in Scripture about as many times as the word love. All right? It's a lot. A lot of how we relate to the Lord and how we know him are through Scriptures that the Lord's actually speaking to nations. And not just Israel, although Israel is the primary one throughout Scripture. But nations as a whole, the Lord relates to existence based on, based partially. Obviously, we have personal relationships with him. He has destinies for our families, has destinies for us, has destinies for the church, universal, as a body, as the bride of Christ. But he has destinies for nations. And we need to count those as precious and fight for them. That's the harvest is what we're here to do. That's why we're on this. That's why as Christians, that's why we're here. We're here for the gospel. We're here for the great commission. And that goes for nations, right? Anyone who's here today, you're called partially to America as an intercessor and as a steward of the nation to be a nation that serves 
the Lord, a nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. All right, so um, now I'm going to get to my notes. <laughs> I, I promise that I won't take very long to go through the rest of this, but um, and I did kind of get disorganized. That's all right. Um, I wanted to read the scripture that I intended to read when I told myself I needed to not speak in church. Um, it's 2 Timothy 2, or 2 Timothy 3, I'm sorry. But understand this, that in the last days will come perilous times of great stress and trouble. And this is amplified, so it's going to take a while. Uh, hard to deal with and hard to hear, hard to bear. For people will be lovers of self and utterly self-centered, lovers of money and aroused by an inordinate, greedy desire for wealth. We see that a lot. Um, proud and arrogant, contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive, blasphemous, scoffing. I think that most of media is scoffing right now. Disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. They will be without natural human affection, callous and inhuman, relentless, admitting of no truce or appeasement. They will be slanderers, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate and loose in morals and conduct, uncontrolled and fierce, haters of good. One of the things that I think is the most telling sign that we are in the end times this scripture is completely fulfilled when we look around us. But everything that is good has been labeled as evil. That's bizarre, right? It's bizarre. And everything that is evil is being labeled as good. It's, you know, just it's just the things that have come out in the last couple of weeks about some uh, taxpayer funded. Uh, you know, I don't want to get into too many details, but the abortion mechanism that has been going on to basically harvest up to, quote, 42 weeks. All right. This is it's some horrifying stuff, but it's there's nothing so vile and evil. And these are the things that are being called good. And when, you know, a little church group stands outside an abortion clinic and tries to encourage women to have their children, they are considered evil terrorists, right? That is just a world flipped on its head. But remember, it's being flipped on its head by a small group of wicked people and a small group of people that have a crazy religion that they're following of this godless antichrist religion and a small group of people that are making trillions of dollars on the whole system, and a small group of people that are mentally insane, and a small group of people that are demonized, you know. So that's the small group of people that are trying to tell you and convince you that you're outnumbered and that your nation is history, right? That's garbage, right? Garbage. They will be treacherous betrayers, rash, inflated with self-conceit. They will be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements, more than and rather than lovers of God. For although they hold to a form of piety, they deny and reject and are strangers to the power of it. 
Their conduct belies the genuineness of their profession. Avoid all such people. Turn away from them. For among them are those who worm their way into homes and captivate silly and weak-natured and spiritually dwarfed women. And I would say for men as well now. Um, loaded down with the burden of their sins and easily swayed and led, led away by various evil desires and seductive impulses. These weak women will listen to anybody who will teach them. They are forever inquiring and getting information, but are never able to arrive at a recognition and knowledge of the truth. The truth in that scripture is capitalized. And if you read scripture, you know what that means. It's the personification of the truth. We live in this information age where there's piles and piles of information that are going out all the time and people are just consuming, consuming, consuming. If it doesn't lead to the knowledge of the truth of Jesus, it's garbage. It's garbage. It's just useless taking up space or leading people astray, which is worse. It's evil. So be cautious in the information age. Look to the lamb. Behold the lamb seated on the throne who was slain before the foundations of the earth. We keep our eyes on the lamb. Don't be deceived by the wicked voices that are telling you, trying to convince you of what your future is, of what the destiny of your nation is, of what is going to happen with Christianity. Who, do, who are they? I know what happens. I have the book. I've read the end. It's very clear. It's very clear. I highly suspect that instead, I, I know that we're, we're a very young nation, couple hundred years in the scope of nations and in the time of the Lord that's like an hour and a half you know we're very young nation now there are other nations out there that need our claiming and our prophecies for them as well but our nation is a baby nation I highly suspect what we're seeing right now is actually the birth of our nation the birth of our identity is happening now in this clash of kingdoms. You had the promise and the legal start, lots of skirmishes, lots of policy and, you know, declarations. And I think that we're in the inception of the nation that is destined to come up and worship the lamb at the end of the age. I think we're at the beginning. Which means we are the ones today, alive now in this generation, that are going to form the nation that goes up to worship the Lamb. What do you think the Great Commission was about? It's interesting. Matthew 28 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Lord is with us. This commission has never changed. But I think for our nation now, this is us now. It's our job now. We are discipling this nation to be one of those end-time nations that worships the Lord. All right? This is my opinion. Haggai 2, 6 and 7. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Once more, it is a little while, I will shake heaven and earth, the sea and dry land, and I will shake all nations, and they shall come to the desire of all nations. Desire of all nations there is also personified. It's also capitalized. This is Jesus. The desire of all nations is Jesus. If you needed a prophecy for your nation, that's it. Jesus is the desire of all nations. He's the desire of this nation. He's the answer for this nation. He's the destiny for this nation. For all of the young people that are in here that are going back to school, Jesus is the answer to what the world is missing and needing. It's he is what they truly desire. I will shake all nations and they shall come to the desire of all nations. And I will fill this temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter temple shall be greater than that of the former. And in this place, I will give peace. There is one true desire of every nation and it is Jesus. That comes from the Bible, so I know it's true easy. So the answer for what we do in the end times has not changed. It is the Great Commission. It is bringing in the harvest. And I'm going to try to get to... I'll tag I. Here's my little list. Okay. I'm going to share with you something Katie's going to know, I think, what this is from. This is a song that was penned by a woman apostle that we you know, followed and had in our family of faith for many years. Pastors go and minister at the camp meetings in Ashland um, that were, was started by Ruth Heflin's family. And they've been holding revival for, what is it, 70 years? Katie, do you know? Yeah. 70 years of the prayer meeting. Yeah. So. And the camp, I believe, is it every day that they have a service in the summer? Yeah. They have prayer every day and services every day in the summer. Yeah. yeah. So that's a lot of prayer and a lot of intercession. But Ruth Heflin wrote this. 
It's a song, and I'm not, maybe not going to sing it. I ask for the nations. In the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord, I come to thee, O God, in the name of the Lord. I ask not for riches. I ask not for fame. I ask for the nations in Jesus' name. May they not be naked. May they not be ashamed to stand before thee, O God, on that great judgment day. Oh, may they be spotless and may they be clothed. Oh, may they know Jesus that day at thy throne. I ask for the nations. I call them by name. I present them to the Father in Jesus' name. I ask for the nations. I call them by name. I present them to the Father in Jesus' name. The scripture that this is referencing in here is in Psalm 2. And it's interesting how Psalm 2 begins because we see Psalm 2 now all around us. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, I'm going to switch over to the Amplified. Let us break their bands of restraint asunder and cast their cords of control from us. Saying this to the Lord. You know, this is definitely what's going on in culture now. But here's what happens. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord has them in derision. And in supreme contempt, he mocks them. That is interesting. I think he's having a very good time watching him as MBC. <laughs> Sorry. But the Lord sees all of this plotting and all of this hatred for his word and his rebellion against him. And he laughs and makes fun of these guys. He speaks to them in his deep anger and troubles terrifies and confounds them in his displeasure and fury, saying, Yet have I anointed and installed and placed my king firmly on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree of the Lord, he said to me. You are my son, my son capitalized. This day I declare I have begotten you. Jesus is king. Here's the scripture that this song is in reference to. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth as your possession. This is a side warning in verse 10. Now, therefore, O you kings, act wisely. Be instructed and warned, O you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent awe and worshipful fear. Rejoice and be in high spirits with trembling, lest you displease him. That is the word of the Lord 
for this nation and for us as the church in it. Ask of me, saying to Jesus and his church. It's our responsibility to bring in the harvest. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth as your possession. got very excited and I lost my place. Okay, here it is. This comes from Ruth's book, Harvest Glory, which is a wonderful book. And she served the Lord traveling all around the nations for decades, ministering and bringing in the harvest. And there are very few people that were as you know, qualified to speak on the end-time harvest as Ruth. And this is, it took place in one of, one of, one of the meetings that she had ha- held. The Lord said, I'll give you the pattern of what to do. I suddenly saw both of God's hands on a gossamer fabric, which he was dropping down from heaven. On it was an outline of the United States. Lights began to come on all across America on the banner until there was not a city not a town or a village where the light could not be seen. I knew I had seen the pattern of the coming revival. And I turned to those who were involved in ministry and said, God said that the pattern, that pattern would be America. She says this in the epilogue of the book. We are called for this day and this hour, born for it, destined for it. It is a gr- time greater than the day of Pentecost. From a Pentecostal apostle, that's a big deal. Greater than the period of the first century church, the end time. The time of the culmination of all things, the day of fulfillment. The day that the apostles longed to see. The day that we are not only seeing, but we are experiencing. The time of harvest. The time of harvest glory. All things are ready, everything is prepared, and you and I are making ourselves available to be instruments, threshing instruments, new sharp threshing instruments having teeth to be used in the bringing in of the end time harvest, the harvest of the world. It's a day in which God pulls out all the stops on heaven's organ, that's also a sign that they are Pentecostal, heaven's organ, and heaven and earth cooperate in bringing the precious fruit of the earth. All of heaven's preparations have been for this day. This is the day that you were born into to be here now and that your children were born into to be here now. We are not alone in this task. Angelic hosts assist us. Signs, wonders, healings, and miracles confirm us. All that has happened through the centuries has been geared for this hour. We are laborers together with God. Brothers and sisters as yet unknown to us, scattered throughout the world, are joined with us in the task. We are wielding the sickle together. Their strength is added to ours. Strengthened together in God, we shall bring all the harvest into the barn. Not one grain shall be lost. And she ends the epilogue by saying the scripture. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. And that's James 5. I'm going to read you James 5. 
if I can find James 5. The reason this, that James 5 really stuck out to me is the first part of James 5 is actually speaking to the wicked who are oppressing the laborers in the harvest. What an appropriate scripture for the time that we're in, in the end days harvest, where you find these oppressors and these persecutions. We are Christians after all. But here it is. Go to now, ye rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered. And the rest of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as if it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. They're, they're prepping. Sorry, I'm just kidding. Uh, behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And get this. The cries of them which have reaped and entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Okay, that's a big deal. The Lord of Sabaoth, Jehovah Sabaoth, is the captain of the armies of the hosts of heaven. He is the war maker against the enemies of God. That's who hears the cries of the laborers in the harvest. In verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brethren, Unto the coming of the Lord, behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. And have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful, pitiful, full of pity, and full of tender mercy, and of tender mercy. Later on in that scripture is where we get the common, commonly used uh, Christian uh, saying, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I know personally righteous men and women who have prayed and interceded for this nation, who have prayed and interceded for different nations all over the earth. Those prayers availeth much. Do not be troubled by all of this imagery that is trying to scare you into thinking, ah, my nation. No, prophesy. Bring in the harvest. This nation is the Lord's. That is the destiny of this nation. That's the destiny of the end of the age, is that nations are going to go up and worship the Lord. This will be one of them. This will be one of them. We are bringing in the harvest. There's great opposition. That's fine. We wrestle not against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities. And, you know, every knee bows, every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. These are true things. These are true things. Demons are terrified of Christians. Good. 
They should be. Get out there. Bring in the harvest. If you need more of the Holy Spirit, get filled up with the Holy Spirit. We're about to go on a fast in about how many days? A few weeks? After Labor Day? Get filled up. Get anointed. Get the authority. Get shored up. Some don't come out but through prayer and fasting. That's fine. You know, we pray and we fast. So I did kind of skip a lot of things. That's fine. I was going to read or sing something to you, but I think I'll read it. Oh, this is something from Ruth Heflin. I wanted to mention it. There's nothing that is too big for God. One night during the hearings, I think this was during the Clinton hearings, actually. um, Ruth was up in D.C. And she was praying and prophesying. And I found myself in a vision, standing before the Capitol, praying with my hands on the dome of the Capitol, as if it were on the head of a bald man. After praying for the Capitol, I stepped back and put my left hand on the Senate side and my right hand on the House of Representatives side. In the vision, I picked up the whole Capitol building as if I were picking up a cake. At that moment, the phrase, it's a piece of cake, came to me. The scriptures say the nations are as a drop in the bucket to God. He was letting me know that this problem was easy for him to resolve. It was a piece of cake. So I'm going to read the scripture that that is from. It's a good one. It's Isaiah 40. That's the one that has, you know, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Lots of good uh, harvest insight here. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. All flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. This is really good for everyone who has children that are going back to school. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighted the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? And I'll just get to the scripture. That's one more down. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the aisles as a very little thing. This nation 
is a little thing for the Lord to fix. Any issue that it has, all of the nations, this is a piece of cake for the Lord. All it takes is the Lord's church here that is full of the Spirit to disciple those nations. And that is what we're here to do. That's why you were born for right now. It is the end times. That's great. It's a time that people have waited for. We as Christians have a job to do. It's the harvest. It's the Great Commission. We are here to make disciples of all nations. We are here to make disciples of this nation. And from this nation to other nations, Regina, wherever Regina is, because the lights are in my eyes. Okay. We are making disciples of all nations. They will worship the Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I did, I wanted to, you know, because I'm way over now, time. But this was, it's a song that everybody knows. It's My Country Tis of Thee. My Country Tis of Thee. Sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. My native country, thee, land of the noble free. Thy name I love. I love thy rocks and rills, thy woods and templed hills. My heart with rapture thrills like that above. Then I, you know, it gets very poetic, but. Let music swell the breeze and ring from all the trees. Sweet freedom's song. This is where it gets good. Let mortal tongues awake. Let all that breathe partake. Let rocks their silence break. The sound prolong. Our Father's God to thee, author of liberty, to thee we sing. This is the words of the hymn. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might, great God, our King. That is our nation. That is our mission, to disciple this nation into the knowledge and the worship and the service of the one true king. And we are assisted and aided in it by hosts of heaven and by the greatest helper of all, the Holy Spirit. This is nothing to God. This is a drop in the bucket. This is a drop in the bucket. I'll, I'll just, one, one other thing. I had a dream, which was a very humorous dream, and I have very humorous dreams. And it was, it looked like it, you know, took place on a river, looked almost like the Amazon River, very jungly on one side of the river and jungly on the other side of the river. But over the river had been built, built this canal system, this aqueduct type system, and there were pillars and columns, and it looked ancient, very old, like it had been kind of run down, you know, it was, you know, maybe 
hundreds of years from being in use. And there were a lot of people that are here. There were people from our church there. And there were also two other figures there that really stuck out as kind of being waiting, standing there on the side, they were waiting, they were just ready. And it was, you know, this is the product of my mind, it was Hercules from Hercules, The Legendary Journeys, Kevin Sorbo, who is a committed believer, who is, which is wonderful. Um, but in the dream, he was just Hercules. <laughs> and the other one was The Highlander, which anyone who watched 90s uh, television knows who that is as well. Um, but these are, and that's, you know, I won't get into the details, but they're basically supernatural beings, okay? Supernatural, strong beings. They're angels in the dream. They're angels. That's the, what they represent. And they were waiting. They were just ready to help. And a specific person from the church, I won't mention their name because, you know, it's not their fault they were in my dream, but leaned over to me and we were kind of looking over the, these little canals and you could tell that they were, they were designed to catch the fish. We were, catch, we were supposed to be catching all the fish. And they just, you know, it seemed to be everything was kind of, you know, um, broken down, whatever. And there was this fish that was in there that looked like it was dead or dying, like, you know, little glimmer of hope. And the fish had this shiny rainbow pattern scales on it. It was like, you know, this this big. And so I went over this fish and I was, you know, splashing water on it, seeing if it would revive. And the fish, all of a sudden, because of the reviving, turned into this huge, beautiful fish that looked almost like a dolphin or even, I don't know, edging on being a seal or something. Huge, huge fish, huge fish. Beautiful, bright blue, like royal blue, iridescent, like, yes, beautiful, um, be blue color. And the fish itself jumped into the canal that we were fishing with and swam on into the, you know, into where we were catching all the fish. It jumped itself in. And this person from church leaned over to me and said, hey, and when it rains, the fish just jump out of the river into the canal. For me, when I woke up, the Lord is saying, the harvest time is now. The fields are white in the world. The fish are ready to be brought in. All we have to do basically is be there. <laughs> You know, come on, come on, fish, you know, because when it rains, they jump themselves into the canal. They come themselves. They just jump right in. And we have angels that are helping us to do it, to help with the heavy lifting. So be encouraged. This is, you know, this is pretty much what I wanted to say was don't be deceived. Know who you are what the destiny for your family and for your nation is, we're here as laborers with the Lord to bring in the harvest and to make a disciple of this nation so that this nation comes before the Lord at the end of the age to worship him. And that's why we're here. So that's it.